There was a friend of mine who was sometimes an enemy. We've always been competitive. We never hesitate to share our accomplishments with one another and never shy away from appearing unimpressed. Once we had a casual run-in and I asked him what was going on, he began to open up. He shared about his hurts, his struggles, and even his confusion about the life path he had chosen. Listening to him made me stop the story. I got out of the friction game we were playing and connected with him. There was no more competing, no more who's done better, only an honoring of the power and sincerity of this man, who was certainly the better of the two of us in that moment. The story of our bickering and competitiveness was a true story on one level, but on a deeper level our souls shared a similar path. We had used each other for our own growth. At the heart of our relationship was love and admiration. We've all heard this advice before. Just be yourself. You've got a big date and you're concerned she's out of your league? Don't worry, Mom says. Just be yourself. Anxious about a final interview? Just be yourself, your husband says, and everything will be fine. Just be yourself seems as irrational as that other adage of common faith, everything will be okay. And yet, both of these often resonate. The comedian Stephen Wright pointed out this contradiction in a joke about death. My goal in life is to live forever. So far, so good. So when someone tells us to be ourselves, we tend to concur with a supporter. But in the back of our minds, we think, but I am myself. Just be yourself means to be authentically you, without unnecessary inhibition, anxiety, or insecurity. Just be yourself. It is an appeal to our souls to be true. Indeed, it shouldn't be hard. It should be easy. And it can be. But for those of us who have spent our entire lives oppressing ourselves, it is painstaking. Just being ourselves is often the key. If you feel something is missing in your life and something feels lacking, what's missing essentially is not the lover or the friend, the money or the career, the past or the future. What's missing from your life is you. If something is missing from your life, search first for yourself. Fully paying attention to and participating in the world around us brings about a sincere experience of who we are, which, in turn, calls life forth in a way that brings harmony. The therapist Carl Rogers once wrote, Each individual appears to be asking a double question. Who am I and how may I become myself? This is a perplexing point of view for the person who thinks, I am who I am. Rogers claims that as individuals, we are more content as processes than as products. We are not fixed selves, but essentially consistently becoming selves. At the level of our everyday consciousness, we live as much in our potential as we do in our reality. Like reading a novel and not knowing how it will end, we do experience regular foreshadowing, insights into the theme, and moments so complete in and of themselves that we don't need to turn the page. The question of who we are and what we will become shows the interrelatedness between ourselves and our life stories. We are not expressions of our story in this sense, but we do find that our stories are unique expressions of ourselves, even in how they embody the archetypal roles in stages of living and dying, leaving home, parenthood, retirement, etc. 
The self is not static. It is continuous and evolving. It is created, yet consistently creative. It is both form and formless. We are the unique point, we might say, where the totality of ourselves comes together. Our lives are like a fine novel, with chapters, themes, supportive characters, trials, and an overall narrative. Yet, our lives are much more complex than even the finest novelist could articulate. One distinct difference between our real lives and fiction is that the novelist uses the illusion of chronology, a beginning, middle, and end. This helps to start and finish the book, add page numbers, create an outline, keep the publisher calm, embark on a potential series, and so on. Our lives are not like this. The papers are not numbered, the chapters do not always have clear headings, and in many cases they can remain unfinished. Neither do they always line up chronologically. Our lives do not begin with, I was born on, but with where we realize we want a story for our lives. We may look back for a beginning or set an idea for an end, but our story is only told now. Although for our own convenience, we will often say our life begins at birth and ends when we die, most of us know this isn't the whole story. It is an illusion we again grant ourselves for the purpose of explanation. What makes our life so layered and complex and longer than even Tolstoy could muster? Unfortunately, it is not us, or at least us, in the common use of the term. It is our spiritual narrative. It is the composer of the plot. It is that which makes us want to turn the page. It is so strong that it needs no beginning or end because it is what it is. It will weave characters together and stories to share and make comedy and tragedy. Who are we, not just as a character, but observer of the narrative and its progressing themes? We are like the reader, and we experience the work. For each of us, our life should be the greatest story ever told. A good storyteller never concludes anything through an ending. Each page should allow the reader to conclude what is happening while at the same time assuring herself that she has no idea how it will all wind up. This applies to our living as well. We foolishly often do two things. We either consistently give away an ending to ourselves when we don't know what is really going to happen and proceed to act like it will, therefore missing the point of our lives. This can lead to limiting choices and ways of life, decreasing excitement, and increasing bitterness. The second way that, like a bad storyteller, we will try to save the best for the end. We forget that the end is an illusion. Again, we can live like a finely written story, wherein every point is an opportunity to view the whole as we can see it. Although there may clearly be more to tell, the story itself can consistently be complete. The media guru, Marshall McLuhan, said, Nothing is inevitable as long as one is willing to be conscious of what is happening. There are no clever endings. The better term may be begendings, opportunities where we get clearer on what is happening and then step into the realm where nothing is inevitable. Where words are insufficient, that is where the power of story comes in. The earliest myth-makers realized this. 
How do we explain the sun? How do we explain creation? How do we explain duality? The best couples realize this. They don't make up stories about themselves, but don't fear exaggerating a little either to explain the depth of love between them. They also remember the little things that too many of us pass over. We don't stop to articulate them. Scientists seek to do this too. They use whatever means possible to tell the true story, and yet they fail to have understanding when they are unwilling to accept what Socrates always sought in his work on philosophy, a likely story. A likely story, for better or worse, is often the best we can do. Is this not the art of the truly great storyteller, or the painter, or the musician, to introduce us to what isn't there and to articulate what is? At the heart of our true story, and therefore our lives, is its theme. You can't always know this through a brief study of characters and plot, but through interaction. It's about understanding synchronicities, objectively viewing the story and reading deeply between the lines to take in its meaning. The great author Flannery O'Connor stated, When you can state the theme of a story, when you can separate it from the story itself, then you can be sure the story is not a very good one. The meaning of a story has to be embodied in it, has to be made concrete in it. A story is a way to say something that can't be said any other way, and it takes every word in the story to say what the meaning is. You tell a story because a statement would be inadequate. When anybody asks what a story is about, the only proper thing is to tell him to read the story. The meaning of fiction is not abstract meaning, but experienced meaning. And the purpose of making statements about the meaning of a story is only to help you to experience that meaning more fully. Where O'Connor states a story, we might as well place our lives in that context. Our story isn't just something we do. It's our way of becoming who we are. It is our way of telling ourselves.